Hello! Welcome to Impersonal Opinion, the podcast where we don't take our opinions personally. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega, and I had a few questions to ask him regarding the difference between pantheism and acutheism, um, because he defined as a pantheist um, for a long time, but then later introduced this new word, um, acutheist, and maybe, George, you could just start out by explaining what the, the slight difference there is, if any. All right, yeah, and I'm not sure there's, you know, they're kind of like variations of the same concept in a way, um, different ways of saying the same thing. Um, pantheists basically believe that the universe and God are synonymous. You know, it really is no more complicated than that. Um, an acutheist... Um, also defends God, but just like is not completely pleased with the um, with the traditional definition of God. For example, um, God is often defined as transcending reality. You know, so like to my mind, that makes no sense. How you know? I think that's conceptually um, impossible. You know, because like you know, outside of reality would be another part of reality. So, so basically, you're right, Chandler. It is there are kind of like different ways of saying the same thing. But the other thing is like pantheism comes with with a bit bit of baggage. Um, Spinoza kind of uh, promoted his brand of pantheism that actually uh, believed in a benevolent God, an all you know, an omnibenevolent God, all good. I'm not sure I could see that. Uh, Einstein was also a pantheist, but he rejected the notion of a personal God, where for me, you know, a personal God is simply personifying God rather than seeing the universe as a thing. So, so I guess, yeah, but essentially it's like the idea of like, you know, an acutheist defends God, but defends an accurate definition of God rather than like, many that are just like wrong in various ways. Yeah. Um, see, what's interesting about it is one of the problems with all labels that I've noticed is that there will be many different people who use a label, whether whether that's Christian, atheist, pantheist, Jew, Muslim. They all, they're all using the same label, but they believe slightly different things. And so it's this is where it's tricky. So no matter what label someone uses, it's it's difficult um, because now what you're saying is that you like to personify the universe basically rather than just seeing it as a thing. Well, yeah, based. I mean, it's not arbitrary. Um, I kind of like have to see it as personified because. Understanding we don't have a free will means that our consciousness is really not our own. It really belongs to the universe. Just like the consciousness like that controls a puppet doesn't really belong to the puppet, it belongs to the puppeteer. So it's difficult for me to assign consciousness to to a thing. It's more difficult. I mean it's 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 it, it seems more correct to just define to um assign consciousness to a being, you know, rather than a, than a thing. And so, like, a being is just like a, the personification of a thing, I guess. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of interesting because what it gets down to is for me, a person is or you know or a life form is really just a conscious thing. You know, it's still a thing, but it's conscious, and that's what makes it cool. <laughs> so here's the thing. I think that it is a relevant thing for people to discuss um, pantheistic ideas because it's often overlooked. Um, in fact, um, I was listening to um, the audiobook of The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, and he did quite a large section of about Einstein and pantheism. Uh, it was It was kind of interesting. But yes, it did include the quote that Einstein didn't believe in a personal God. And it's kind of interesting because now while I like pantheism better than, you know, the traditional beliefs, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's hard to see, I guess I'm still not sure about the, the reason for why use the word God instead of universe. As you know, some of the other co-hosts think the same as that. Okay, um, there's several reasons. The first, I think, you know, just kind of like historically, you know, the the term God, I think, um, preceded universe. You know, um, in other words, like people were using God to refer to everything that is and what governs everything, you know, and then the creator of everything even you know, before, you know, we came up with the word universe. So it's kind of, it seems more consistent in that way. Um, the second is that I believe that there is more to human beings, more to reality than we can physically know with our um, instrumentation, current understanding. I think, I believe there's a quote-unquote spiritual dimension, uh, not dimension, but just like, there, there, there are aspects of reality that, I mean, I think I, I'm a materialist. I believe everything is physical, but there are aspects of reality that lie beyond our ability to, to, at least reliably, empirically, you know, um, access or, or perceive, and, and so. Um, so yeah, the designation God, I think, um, is more in line with this kind of, you know, spiritual dimension of human beings and this spiritual um, aspect of reality that, that would be just like that the universe simply exists. Because with the universe simply existing, you know, it, it just leaves some open questions like, you know, um, what's the nature of, of what created the Big Bang? I mean, was it random? I, I can't believe it was random because random means without a cause, and that seems like a, a non-starter. And if it wasn't random, there, to my mind, there must have been order. There must have been some kind of process, some kind of plan, and that suggests, you know, kind of like a, a god-like consciousness. Yeah, you said some important things there, George, because, like, from like this comes up when people have their arguments for and against the existence of God. One of the particular cases is that of the infinite regress because um, people, you know, they look at complexity around them and they think, well, it must have been designed by some creator. 
But then it always begs the question of, you know, uh, well, who created the creator? Because the idea is that if if you need some complex creator th that to explain the complexity you see, well, then that creator is so complex that it needs a creator. So that what's interesting about it is due to this reasoning over that, I've thought about that for a long time, was the infinite creator um, regress, um, even before I got involved in determinism and free will and all this stuff. Um, and that was how I came to the conclusion that something had to eternally exist, no, no beginning, um, just always was there, because that's the only thing that makes sense, especially if we're to hold to the conservation of mass energy that matters neither created nor destroyed. Exactly, Chandler, and that's why I would say it's really you know, inaccurate um, to say that God doesn't quote-unquote exist. Because, for example, if we, um, if we take the, the wiki page on God, you know, one of his attributes is, um, well, omnipresence. Does it have eternal? Um, I don't know. One, one of the, the, the attributes of God, I think, um, is, is that God is eternal, you know, has eternal, you know, had before creation and after God exists, whatever. Well, I mean, that's, that's the same kind of definition of an eternal universe. So yeah, this this concept of eternity as as it applies to God, it just like it just similarly applies to the universe. Yeah, in fact, I think that's the most interesting of the well-known attributes of God. I believe that is commonly an attribute given to God as being eternal. And here's where it gets a little bit tricky, because. Um, there, you know, there are debates with people over. Some people believe that the universe is six thousand years old, and or at least that the Earth is. And then others are saying that it's it's like thirteen point seven something billion years old, and that it started with the Big Bang somehow. But there's always whatever, no matter what somebody tries to do, they're trying to assume that there is a beginning when it doesn't really make that much sense for there to be a beginning. And as soon as somebody tries to suggest that there is a beginning to all things, then all of a sudden that means that there has to be, get, be a beginning to their God, whichever God they believe in. Yeah, Chandler, we can draw a distinction between um, kind of like a theological understanding of, let's say, the creation which, you know, is, you know, like, like you know, in, in naturalistically the creation is 13.8 billion years old and, and what created the creation. And, and theologically, um, between, you know, um, a Big Bang and, again, the, the, the known universe and the, the universe beyond the Big Bang. So they're, they're both, in, in both instances, you, you arrive at the same, the same conclusion that, yes, there's a, um, there's a creation that, that we can observe as having started from the Big Bang, but then there's a, a more, more eternal aspect of the creation that, that we can either define 
eternally as God or eternally as the universe? Yeah, I think it gets down to some definitions because, see, here's um, was how I came to define myself as atheist is because um, I, you know, I grew up Christian and God was a a person that got got mad at at humans for disobeying him and then sending him to hell and you know all that kind of crazy stuff um, and here's what it amounts to is that it amounts to to believe in that type of of god um it requires that god be a, a free will believer and blame his creation for how he designed them and th that's why because uh, and then the only we would have to by that type of god that they promote we would have to say that um, God would be an extremely unintelligent not to understand that free will is impossible for humans to possess. Yeah, you're right. So there's base, there's certain attributes attributed to God that don't seem to make sense, like omnibenevolence. If God made the entire universe, clearly God made both goodness and evil, pain and pleasure and all. You know, it just doesn't make sense to, to see God as perfect goodness because, like, you know, then how you'd have to explain where did evil come from. And naturally, we know you can't explain it through free will because, like, um, well, it doesn't exist. Um, so, so then in terms of, um, let's see. Okay, so that's the reason for, you know, the phrase atheist. In other words, um, there are certain aspects of God, certain definitions of God that are, are accurate, you know, when we keep them, but then there are certain definitions that aren't, and those we discard. Um, for example, in theology, an atheist, I think, would discard prophetic religion, meaning that, like, because somebody a few thousand years ago said that something is so, we hold it to be true. As opposed to saying, well, because something makes sense, something has evidence for it, we hold it to be true. So, um, so that's one criteria. And so, like, you know, you could apply this to the universe. For example, um, there is an accurate and inaccurate view of the universe. It used to be, until not so long ago, the, the, um, the standard understanding in physics of, of the nature of the universe was what was known as the steady state that all these, like, stars and galaxies were, like, interspersed, you know, just the way they are now, you know? Then, um, then we learned about this Big Bang, you know, so we learned that actually, you know, 13.7 you know, 13.8 billion years ago, the universe was condensed to the, the size of, like, smaller than an atom. So, so, again, just as we can, like, arrive in more and more accurate um, understandings of God or theology, you know, we can, or we do arrive at, at more and more accurate understandings of the universe, but we don't throw the universe out. You know, we don't say, well, the universe didn't exist while they believed in the steady, steady state. We just say, well, you know, they got some of it wrong. They got some of it right. 
Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because now, while I'm still not sure if I, I don't think I believe the Big Bang, basically. Um, and I even recently um, listened to an interview with, I think it was an astrophysicist or, or something like that. And he was trying to explain the Big Bang. And just like every other time that I've, I've listened to something about it, I didn't understand it at all. You know, that's the way it goes when people talk about some of this science. It goes over my head. But what what's interesting here is, um, yeah, anyway, your larger point is that because uh, um, there were different opinions in the past about the universe, we don't say um, that the universe didn't exist back when people held that opinion. Similarly, um, like if people, if they believed that the sun was spinning around the earth, we wouldn't say that the sun or earth didn't exist, um, but that some, but somebody was wrong about the order. Well, exactly. And that's the point. So when, you know, that, and that's the value of being an atheist. It just, it points out the clear errors in theological reasoning without throwing everything out you know like and as you're saying it's it's the same thing in science we, we science does that all the time yeah and well here's what's interesting about it george now um because when people um talk about something existing i guess it's a little bit complicated because um in one sense you know for example um humans like us are changing all the time I could say that the Chandler that I that I was a few years ago doesn't exist anymore because I've changed so much. Everything about you know my whole diet, my whole belief system, everything's changed. So then somebody could question, well, does Chandler exist? And if Chandler's defined as the Chandler you know from three years ago, well then no, Chandler does not exist. But rather it would make more sense to say Chandler has changed than it would be to say Chandler doesn't exist, right? I, I agree with that. I think, you know, that would it would depend on different definitions of exist, but it's more commonsensical to say that, yeah, sure, we, we existed, you know, 10 years ago, and we exist differently, you know, today. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, for example, somebody... Um, doesn't necessarily need to believe that the universe always existed in the way it does now, but that it can change and evolve. I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. You know, I, I just wanted to get back, get back to your point about the Big Bang. I mean, like, we talked about this before, and, you know, I mean, there is evidence that all of the galaxies are expanding, you know, further and further away from each other, and that, that kind of, like, points to a much smaller universe you know many years ago where where i really haven't researched this is like where they get to the point that it has to be you know infinitesimally sometimes i read small or like small in size of an atom i mean i i don't understand why they have to go that far into smallness why it couldn't exist let's say the size of you know 10 dozen galaxies or something i don't know I just I don't um, I had I don't know enough about it to understand how they come up with the size. 
Yeah, see, that's why I don't believe it. Because when they do that and try to say that there was something the, the size of an atom or something really, really small like that, well, then they've lost me. Because if it was that small, then where did all the extra matter come from to make it big now? <laughs> right, and that that's where we refer to, like, the known or observable universe, you know, which is finite. It's limited by both its dimensions, you know, as far as, as it is expanded and as old as it is, about 13.8 million years, and the, the universe outside of that, or like the infinite universe that existed before it and presumably, you know, occupied that space that our known universe expanded into. Because then, then you, you know, you, create, you have another geometric problem with, you know, well, what is it expanding into? Yeah, and it gets very interesting because I think there's so much more to reality than what we could possibly ever know. In fact, there are some things we simply won't know. There's no amount of science that can, that can really tell us what's going on inside the head of an earthworm, for example. You know, <laughs> we don't really know what they're thinking. <laughs> Um, and there's obviously no way to travel um, in space it, to find out all that's there. So yeah, there there are you know what some people they try to say that science will you know eventually understand everything, and I don't think that's possible. But I think that in order to make sense of of all the matter that we are having now, having expanded from some point, you know, moving, objects moving further away from each other, still would suggest that wh however they were compacted would still be very, very large. So I, I you know, I take, I tend to take um, things that people say, even when it's scientists, I tend to not just take their word for it. Because like you said, we don't want to just do things based on, well, because some guy said so. <laughs> You're right, Chandler, and considering um, that so many scientists still don't get that we don't have a free will and still don't understand, which is equally important, the significance of, of, of this knowledge. Some people say, like, fine, we have a free will, we don't have a free will, it doesn't matter. So, like, you have, like, so many scientists who are clueless in either one or both aspects of this question um, that should tell you, yes, to reserve a lot of judgment um, in terms of, you know, like in terms of like you can't, for example, argue with a, a cell phone. I mean, like our engineers, they know what they're doing, you know, uh, or, or argue with like going to the moon and back and stuff. But understanding the fundamental nature of reality is a different set of skills that many, many scientists just simply don't have. Yeah. And another thing that's interesting is that... Um... Well, you know, I can never really know from one minute to the next whether all the things I'm believing are right. The only thing I'm really sure about is the impossibility of free will because there's no way to make it make sense. Um, and so it gets interesting because we sort of have a an issue because people, they don't agree on definitions of the word. And so... It's kind of tricky. Um, so when you talk about God and you're talking about the universe and other people talk about 
about God and they and they mean um, you know something um, from one of the monotheist or polytheistic religions that are major world religions well then they then they are talking about something that will reward or punish you in an afterlife based on freely chosen things but since there are no freely chosen things for which we're responsible their their God as defined by being a free will believer can't exist so then I think George Robert what our issue is is not does God exist or does not God not exist but which gods exist exactly or I mean like I, I tend to be a monotheist you know considering everything to be God right so there's just one God that's everything but you know you know what you just mentioned we have the same problem in physics and astronomy like you go to one person and they'll say well the universe you know is um is the nature of the universe is that the past present and future all exist simultaneously you know where that where another version of the universe is like well no the the past existed in the past the present the present so like you know you have this this problem of of, of definitions and then certainly that, that is also a problem of, of, of knowledge. So in other words, like, if you're going to be most accurate about, like, theistically, then I think any conception of more than one God would logically have to be subsumed within, you know, the one overall God, you know. Um, so it's really, you know, it's really a matter of getting to the right definition among various proposed definitions. Yeah, and here's one thing is, you know, clearly there's a lack of ability to even agree on what the meaning is of terms that we're using. People, you know, people are using the exact same words but meaning totally different things. And here's what this implies to me uh, personally is that um, – we're all just a bunch of basically confused life forms that <laughs> that we don't know, you know, because words in and of themselves are something that have developed languages have developed over a long time. And so I guess we take words too seriously, but at the same time, they're the best tool we have for communicating on Skype. Oh, yeah. And just imagine, imagine, you know, um, however many thousands of years ago before there were any words, you know, you just have to like wonder how the human mind worked back then. You know, everything was images and sounds and some sensations with nothing being, you know, you know, labeled, you know, phonetically and all. It must be a very, very different way of thinking. Well, absolutely, and there there is only one type, uh, one class of human beings that I can think that exists now who have not been exposed to, you know, like spoken language anyway, and that's deaf people, you know, because deaf people can't hear anything. So there's still words you could say, um, because they still can, you know, read and write written language. But I imagine their perception of it is very different. I mean, 
And then there's sign language. Sign language is used to, you know, use certain types of images where people make with their hands or various things to express certain ideas. And in some ways makes more sense than any of the spoken languages. So then we're faced with a thing such as how would one um, talk about the universe in sign language? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, like, since, you know, spoken language is symbolic and, you know, sign language is, is graphically symbolic, I'm, I'm sure there there is a way, but like, you know, um, it's it's like mathematics. Mathematics is, is also like a symbolic language that, that's not necessarily, doesn't have to be auditory. You know, one can know like numbers without knowing how to pronounce them at all. So, um, I, I guess, I don't know, it's an interesting question though, yeah. Yeah, it, it's very curious because there's, I mean, people over words, disagreements about words, they'll fight words and kill each other over it. And, you know, it helped if they didn't believe in free will and blame each other. But our, our, our guess, our problem when communicating any idea, whether it's communicating about free will or uh, communicating about any social or political or religious issue, you know, we're, we're stuck with using words for the most part to communicate with people. But I guess it just takes a lot of words to define what we mean by the words we use. And I, I, I'm not, just not playing sure anymore over what term to use. I, I've actually considered the idea that it's better for to let our actions speak for us rather than than saying, well, I'm a Hindu, I'm I'm an atheist, or I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or you know what I mean. Just rather than using these labels, because as soon as someone hears the label, they're like, "Oh no, you're one of those people," you know. <laughs> well, you're you're right, Chandler. La labels can be extremely divisive. I mean, they they can be kind of like practical in certain ways. In other words, like if you want to like form a group of people that have similar beliefs, you know, they might be either like progressive or conservative or Republican or Democrat or you know a member of one religion so it does have some practical uh, purposes but I you know I remember listening to this guy on pal talk about maybe 10 years ago and he would advocate for just not naming anything for just like not seeing ourselves as people not seeing ourselves as anything is it was a kind of like a very interesting and curious way of, of seeing reality just seeing it seeing ourselves beneath all the labels we put on ourselves, beneath the label of a, a man or a woman or, or a, you know, a, all these kinds of like labels we, we have of what we do and all that. And so, yeah, it, it kind of like leads us to, to see ourselves in a more fundamental way. Yeah. And while I think, I think, George, we're sort of forced to use these labels for, for certain things, you know, when if so, if you're taking a survey and it gives you multiple choice selections, you know, then you have to select the label um, over or you know, the answer which conforms the closest to what you think about the question, and yet we will have to understand it'll never be a hundred percent accurate because there's just too much to reality to express in words. Well, exactly, and that's the point. You're right. Yeah. 
But there is one benefit to this, George. The one good thing about, since we have misunderstandings sometimes, and we never fully understand what people mean just when they've spoken a sentence, that means we get to go on talking the rest of our lives to each other and learning to understand one another better. Oh, yeah, and I would imagine as each decade goes by, there's got to be some, you know, greater and greater uniformity in, in our understanding. I mean, like, you know, some some concepts I think we may take perhaps centuries to achieve a universal uniformity, but I, I imagine we're, we're, we're um, going in the direction of, of like, you know, of, of reaching a more accurate understanding of everything that, that we all hold. Yeah. And, and, you know, one one thing that's really cool, George, is, you know, I tend to think that people having discussions, sometimes it's just friendly conversations. Sometimes it gets into debate. They tend to get a little bit wild, like when it got to the theories of time thing with our ghosts recently, you know. Um, but the main thing is to keep communicating. That's the main thing. Because as soon as somebody just says, well, this is the way it is, and I'm not going to be your friend if you disagree. Well, then that creates all sorts of problems because then people don't talk. They understand each other less and less over time as they change, and then it just leads to, yeah, it just leads to bigger conflict. Yeah, Chandler, I think that's why I work on, on free will is so important. To the extent we abandon it, we evolve beyond it. We don't judge others as, as harshly. We're, we're a lot more understanding of others, and that helps us preserve our, our relationships and hence our, our communication. Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah, um, we've talked about a lot, and <laughs> so I guess we probably should end this soon, but this has been a really good talk, George, and I, I hope that I understand the distinction, but I guess I can listen um, to you explain it again with this recording oh, between um, the pantheism acutheism distinction. <laughs> so, all right. So, should I end it now? It sounds good. Okay. You've been listening to Impersonal Opinion, the podcast where we don't take our opinions personally. And hopefully, hopefully after listening to that conversation between George and I, you'll understand part of the reasons some of the reasons why we should not take our opinions personally because it stops us from communicating and then it, all sorts of other problems um, can't be solved because we can't communicate. So I um, hope you found this um, educational and entertaining. Um, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>